Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all the other people at the table. I'm one of your hosts, DM Neil, aka Jolt Maniac, and today we have a super special episode, and we have Jeremy Crawford on to talk all about Warforged. You voted, we heard you, and that's what we're going to talk about. But before that, we're not going to get into some iTunes reviews because we couldn't find any. So you should go onto iTunes and put up a five-star review so we can read it on air. But if you are a Patreon dragon of gold or higher, head on over and you can find the race inspired by something Jeremy says. So definitely listen to the episode and hopefully we'll have that out for you soon. But with all that quickly out of the way, let's head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? The flat meat back on the menu, boys. So today for our ancestral analysis series, you all voted and you chose the Warforged. If we're being 100% honest, Mitch and I felt like the voting system was more of a formality. <laughs> we knew what you were going to choose and we decided to bring in a extremely special guest and it is none other than jeremy crawford lead rules designer of dungeons and dragons jeremy thanks for coming in hello everyone yeah my pleasure i love talking about DD and eberron so this is perfect yes which is perfect for this episode uh and perfect for the timing as well with the eberron book coming out i'm sure that you'll uh, give us a little bit more information and a look into that but for anybody out there who uh, isn't familiar with you, Jeremy, can you just uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, whether that is in the context of your job at Wizards of the Coast or uh, just some any personal information that you'd like to give out there, social security number, uh, whatever it is that you'd like to tell our listeners. <laughs> yeah, I am a lead rules designer of d and I've been at Wizards of the Coast for 12 years. I uh, was the lead designer of the 5th edition player's handbook and have I uh, had my fingers in just about every 5th edition uh, book that has come out over the last five years, worked on 4th edition, worked on the tail end of 3rd edition, uh, co-designed the role-playing game Blue Rose, worked on the 2nd edition of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, and even worked on the uh, role-playing game Mutants and Masterminds. So I've been uh, playing around in role-playing games for a number of years now. Uh, in my previous life. I was a book editor, a web developer, and uh, also studied uh, religious studies. It feels like an, uh, like an entire other existence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you If you've been around D&D for any amount of time, you should know exactly who Jeremy is. And if you don't, shame on you. No. This is a shame. This is a shame-free zone. Yes. <laughs> no, no, of course. Um, the other thing we want to know, and we'll always put the caveat, is there anything that you're currently working on that you can talk about? Let's see. I, I'm working on many things I can't talk about. Correct. Uh, the, Which is <laughs> exciting to hear in itself. <laughs> yeah, but the, the, the thing I can talk about, uh, I can talk about because I'm working on it in public, and that is our current Unearthed Arcana series, where we yes. are... Uh, it feels like launching a cannon of content out every few weeks. Uh, it's been a lot of fun uh, to do this. We had we had a period of uh, several months where we weren't doing Unearthed Arcana, but that's and we were keeping our lips sealed. That's because we knew we were getting ready for uh, this parade of content uh, that uh, has been 
uh, super fun, not only to work on, but then to see what fans think of it as it's been coming out. That methodology has been one of the greatest things to see in the design approach to D&D, understanding that it's the fans that need to love it. And so then it's literally just like, here's our ideas. Boom. Like you said, that cannon shot and then seeing how the community responds and having that open dialogue back and forth right there in the public. I think it just shows how much you guys care about what's going on. Absolutely. I mean, that element of listening and of being in conversation with our fans is so fundamental to how we designed fifth edition and it's fundamental to how we have been managing the edition since the day it launched. I mean, I really do feel like we're almost like all together in one giant D&D campaign. And, you know, there's like several of us here at Wizards who are the DMs. And it's like we're checking in with the players. You know, see, So is this where you want the campaign to go next? What would you like for your character uh, next yeah. time around? Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, it is. it is almost like we're in this this, you know, multi-year, many-level campaign that we're all playing through together. Fantastic. Well, just like we do with all of our guests, we have uh, our last question is a surprise question from one of our Patreon dragons. Uh, This one comes from Tigranosaurus. And Tigranosaurus wants to ask you, Jeremy, uh, if there was a new uh, D&D race modeled directly after inspired by Jeremy Crawford, who you are as a person, your personality, your quirks, all of that good stuff, uh, what would that race be and what would be their defining racial power? That's super easy oh. to come up with, right? <laughs> I'll, I'll, get, I'll, I'll vamp a little bit. This is still my favorite part is we choose because we can't put the surprise question in the outline or else the guest would plainly see it. So the surprise question is also a complete surprise to me. This so, is a surprising um, one, right? <laughs> this is so good. So I, I think it would have to be a a race with shape changing abilities. So, I mean, we have, we, and it's appropriate. We're talking about Eberron today because we do have the shifter and the changeling, two different, two different uh, races with shape changing abilities. But the one that represents me, it would be a species that has three forms that it can like uh, transform through. So one would be a hag form that has a, has a, nasty sense of humor and is pretty cranky but at the same time actually really just wants everyone to be happy and gets cranky when they're when they're not behaving (laughs) but then i would also have a unicorn form for just ripping around through the woods and being uh colorful and glorious and then finally i would just have a form that is an old sage that is likes to just sit in an armchair with a book i love it and and can talk and talk and talk <laughs> about whatever it is that you want to talk about. That sounds fantastic. It sounds like you have a, a whole race there that's developed that it almost sounds like, <laughs> I want to say like moodering is coming to mind, like where you're at at that moment <laughs> yes. defines your yes. form, right? And that, yep. that's fantastic. I think if we were to if we were to ground it somewhere in the D and D multiverse, given how I described it, it would it would most likely be from the Feywild, mm-hmm. uh, and you know live yeah. live in a nice tower in the woods somewhere, uh, and then you know again go th- from one form to the next depending on the situation and the mood. 
Wonderful. So thank you so much, Jeremy, for that answer. And thank you, Tigranosaurus, for that yes. very uh, interesting question there. So with that, though, we're, with the interview out of the way, we're going to jump right into our main topic. Like I said, our ancestral analysis series and Warforged. And we're going to talk about the past and present information we have to kind of kick us off and seed our brains for the other questions we'll go to. But one of the big things I think is it's one of the shorter lived races in a lot of aspects, both from how long it's been in D&D and how you look at it, even when it's placed in the world. I think one of my big questions, Jeremy, to you was how, like, what are some of the key ways that maybe Warforged look different with this new release? Well, so first, I'll, I'll, I will touch on real quick their history yeah. of uh, in the world of Eberron, Warforged were originally created by House Caneth, one of the great dragon-marked houses, to be weapons of war in the last war, the catastrophic continental war that consumed all of the continent of Corvair. And they really were originally meant to just be war machines, but war machines with a humanoid form. And then they woke up and the Warforged gained self-awareness. Uh, it was discovered they had souls. They became a people. And then the war ended. And so the entire purpose that they had been built for, which was to fight in that war, that purpose went away. And so you have a people that relative to the other peoples in the D&D multiverse are essentially like babies. And they're trying to figure out who are we? Our purpose is gone. And so they have this existential question looming over them that certainly every individual, not only in D&D, but even in our world has to answer the question, you know, why are we here? Uh, what are we going to do with the time that's given to us? But Warforged in particular, because they basically started, and this is sort of a dark part of their past, they started as product. And now they are people. And they also have to fight then that perception in the people around them because anyone that they meet, because the last war just ended, you know, some years before, people around them remember if they, let's say I'm a Warforged and they meet me, they remember I was originally made as a weapon of war. And so there would be many people who aren't sure what to make of this, of this new people, of, you know, these, these metal clad uh, beings clomping around who might have been on a battlefield a few years ago, might have been slaying family members uh, of the people they meet. So it is a, it's a heavy story uh, that a war forged in the world of Eberron has. But it's also a story of great opportunity uh, because each war forge gets to decide entirely who they are. Because the other thing that sets them apart from everyone else in the D&D multiverse is they know exactly where they came from. Uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> everyone else, you know, even the elves who can, you know, trace their, their lineage back to some at least quasi-divine being or in, in many D&D settings all the way back to uh, the god Corallon. There's still, though, for an elf, a kind of mythic haze over their background. Whereas for a Warforge, there's no haze about it. It's basically like, I was made in that factory 
down the street. So there, there is a, there's a tremendous clarity about where they came from uh, and then a completely open road ahead of them in terms of where they're going. That existential context that I'm talking about is really how we treat them in uh, the new book, Eberron, Rising from the Last War. Uh, they are, again, a people who basically have been handed this blank canvas. Well, almost blank. It's a canvas that is blank, except for the part that was painted in of they were made for war. So now they are going to decide, are they going to uh, keep painting that picture? Are they a people of war or they are, are they going to paint a very different picture? They also don't come with tribal or national associations the way other species do. Uh, so they're also free, uh, much more so than other people to just say, this is who I am. You know, each individual warforged, uh, that they, they must be taken uh, as individuals, because it's not like there's, you know, nations of them, although the Lord of Blades is trying to change that. Uh, and, yeah. and for any of our listeners who don't know who the Lord of Blades is, the Lord of Blades is a warforged who is basically saying, hey, we were made as product and we were essentially used as slaves no more. We are going to create a nation of our own and we are a powerful people and we are going to use that power to our own ends. Now, I can imagine a, a, a Warforged uh, being uh, drawn to that appeal, but it's also a dangerous appeal because the Lord of Blades has uh, really the, the mood of a conqueror. It really isn't about, oh, we're going to make this nice, nice nation and peacefully coexist with everybody else. It's basically, uh, we, we were subjugated and now perhaps we will go and subjugate. Uh, so... So Warforged also have that in front of them. Are they going to follow the path that the Lord of Blades represents, or are they going to go in a very different direction? The setting that is uh, presented in the context of the setting with everything that you talked about really just adds such depth to that question that is asked of what does a Warforged do? This creature, this being that was literally in the name Forged for War what does a Warforged do without war? And the setting of Eberron and the time period coming out of that, the last war, this war that has raged for a hundred plus years, not only I feel like is it a deep question that a Warforged themselves would struggle with, like what is my purpose now? Uh, what do I do now? What is uh, available to me now? The with there being like this beautiful aspect of the freedom given to them, but also the struggle of, I, I don't know. I don't know what my purpose is. I did know what my purpose is and now it's gone. But I think also that really is an interesting question that I think of the makers of the Warforged. Like, I don't think that that was really on their minds as well. Of what, what happens when the war ends, when war has raged for as long as it has in this setting that the question is not like, well, what what happens when these creatures uh, awake, which wasn't a planned thing? Uh, and then where do they fit into our society once the war is ended? I imagine a war that has lasted that long. What happens when the war is ended is a question that isn't really even thrown around that much at that point, let alone now to deal with a whole race of warforged that are trying to find their way and. 
I imagine, too, that there are a lot of negative ways that the world of Eberron responds to the Warforged going, oh, well, perhaps we should demolish them. They were used for war. The war is no more. They're a lasting reminder of what happened during the last war. Let's let's demolish them. They're just because there there are certainly going to be people be people that are just going. They're just constructs. Let's move on. And you touched on something that is really key too to their story is House Caneth, their maker, in a way was a very irresponsible parent because there was no thought given to what comes after the war. Also, it was not planned, uh, at least not in the sort of official spec sheet that the Warforged would wake up. You know, there are there have been over the years stories related to Eberron that maybe there were those in Caneth who did this on purpose yeah, of waking them up. Mm-hmm. But whatever the origin of their sapience, uh, Kenneth did not prepare for what was going to come next. Because Kenneth, honestly, was a profit-driven corporation. And, I mean, that, that's the important thing to keep in mind about the dragon-marked houses is they are largely uh, in business to be a successful business. I mean, that's just true even for, uh, you know, the halflings with the mark of healing. You know, the... The name sounds very beneficent. Oh, they're healing people. And indeed they are, but they're doing it for, you know, cash dollars. <laughs> Have you got a hospital bill lately? <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, and, and yeah, Kenneth, they, again, they just, they, they did not prepare themselves, the world or the Warforged for life after uh, the war. They really were behaving as if just the war would go on forever. Now, when it comes to their profits, uh, it would have been advantageous for them if the war had gone on forever. And it's really because of the day of mourning, uh, the catastrophe mm-hmm. that basically shocked everyone out of their war fever, uh, that the war finally uh, wound down. And then now the people of Corvair are left to you know pick up the pieces. Like, holy, holy moly, where do we go next? Yeah, I think that's such a good point. It's that it's kind of that classic idea of like not, should we? Can we? We can. So we will. And uh, the dollar signs just show up in eyes and off we go. We just start cranking out Warforged. It's uh, it's such a good story. I'm, I feel like we can kind of move into this because I really want to, because I want to say something very specific. The idea of adding Warforged into your world, I would be so hesitant to to take away and give them a long storied history in your world because of how much that, that, like you said, that empty canvas, it's that empty canvas forward. It's that empty canvas behind. Like not only can you say I was forged in this factory, I can tell you on what day. And I can literally point to the two that were like forged before and after me. I can tell you everything, but I can't tell you anything before that. Because even if you think about these long lived races, when they step out of that war, they have to answer some of the same questions because the, the war isn't happening anymore, but they have the ability to look back on who they were before, before and start answering questions. And there, don't get me wrong. There will be these arguments and these different sects of, let's say elves again, like these elves feel this way. These elves feel that way. And they don't want to talk to each other, but they can fall back on that history. Every Warforged has nothing but that stamped date to yep. look back on. Yeah. And even even that could be the whole essence of the Warforged to find who made them. 
go back to House Canth and fi- literally find the person that stamped them on that day. So, yeah, adding Warforged to your homebrew world, I would be so, so hesitant to take that away from their history. So I, I have actually, over the years, I have introduced Warforged in my home campaign setting. And the thing that I do is, first off, in my setting, I don't have the last war. So, you know, the, if Warforged show up, they're not going to have that epic, sweeping story that they have in Eberron. But the thing that I always preserve is that they are a produced people. And so you can end up actually having a lot of that cool existential storytelling. And often what I'll do uh, in my setting when I have them show up is also change their look a bit. Uh, I usually have them sort of looking almost like clockwork soldiers, uh, but who Mm -hmm. through an accident of magic woke up. And because of that, they they still have to grapple with all of the same things that the Warforged have to grapple with in Eberron of like, what am I going to be now uh, that I you know woke up and that I'm a person and I know I was made on that workbench over there, and you know unlike other people who have this long history that they can uh, dip into when they start thinking about who they are and who their people are, it's like I as this clockwork person. I have to decide everything for myself, which is both sort of amazingly liberating, but also kind of terrifying. It is uh, interesting, too, when you're talking about a, a homebrew setting, because I think not only do you need to ask yourself, like, what is their origin of what is the origin of their creation? Like, were they created like it's said in the name Warforged for war uh, or are they created for maybe in your homebrew world? They're just called the forged. Because maybe there were some that were created for war, some that were created for gardening, some that were created to be merchants, whatever the role is that fits them. Uh, But then you also have to ask yourself, was this sentience, was it like in Eberron, this seemingly, because we said that there, there are stories about it not totally being an accident, right? But was it seemingly this accident or was it on purpose? Do the creators of the Warforged um, in your homebrew world did they create them to have free will and want to give them a life to be able to go out and choose for their own? Because to not have that really can lead to a whole different perspective for this people of you. I think of in the Eberron setting, like a Warforged struggling with you either embrace like this sense. And we get this idea that some Warforged are sad by the war ending because that was their purpose. And they're just like, but that's what mm-hmm. I was created to do. And almost like uh, a veteran who is just like, now I don't know what I am supposed to do with with my life uh, and searching for that uh, purpose. And maybe they fall back into uh, being a guard for a king or a bank or whatever. They still try to find that war tactic-like duty. But then you also have another side that a Warforged can look at that and be like, I was never asked if I was okay with war. If I was okay with this mm-hmm. war, I was never right. even asked if I was okay with the act of killing another person. I literally have a sword grafted onto my hand, but I was never asked if this was something that was okay for myself. And yet I was sent to war and I killed many without being asked that. Like that's something that's really uh, uh, an interesting role-playing struggle to for a player who chooses to play this race to go through, um, whether it's in a homebrew setting or in the Eberron setting, um, that really can lead 
to a lot of different paths for a player to choose how their Warforge uh, acts and thinks. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're taking these people with all of those weighty things ahead of them that they have to deal with, uh, one thing you can also consider is maybe they're not even really a race in another world, that there might just be one. Uh, like, you know, the, the person in your group who's playing a, a Warforged in a, in a world other than Eberron, as far as anyone knows, that might be, that's it. <laughs> they're, they're, they are the only known uh, example of this people in that setting. Some, something you said that uh, sort of rang a bell for me to, to bring up that, that gets at some of also the prejudice that Warforge have to face is, you know, many people will see them as, again, these weapons walking around. But that is only true for some of the Warforged, because part of the Warforged story is that given the fact that they were being essentially pumped out by House Caneth, you know, they were coming off the assembly line, some of them had to have been made close enough to the end of the war that they actually never saw battle. And so you will have Warforged who, even though war is in their very name, never actually fought in the war and have never uh, been violent uh, in any way. Yet even those peaceful Warforged uh, who have never drawn blood still carry around with them the burden of being viewed as a weapon. That's my favorite idea as well is just because you create I think we're so focused on the idea and it's speaking to the prejudice that you're talking about in the world of Eberron or wherever you have them, that they are warforged. That means all they did was go kill. But there are a lot of things that need to happen in a war. You could have created these warforged for construction. Like, right. that's all I did. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I was one of the very first that was ever created. And all I did was put together things. That's because it was safer to have me there in these dangerous situations because you didn't want to risk a humanoid life, if you will. So that's all, that's all I ever did. I never stepped foot onto a battlefield. And but having that same prejudice of, well, you must have done all these terrible things. And it's like, well, no, I, I just told you all I did was put piece A and piece B together all day, every day because I could. Right. Exactly. Because you were a, you were a tireless worker. And we, uh, in, in the final design of the Warforged in Eberron Rising from the Last War, we have a nod at that of each Warforged having a specialized design. Uh, so when you make your Warforged, you choose any one skill proficiency you want and any one tool proficiency you want. It's, it's actually unbound. Uh, it's rare for us to do this in a race in D&D where it's just pick, pick one at all. I mean, really... You have to go to like the human or the half elf for this kind of flexibility, uh, where just any any skill and any tool, pick it, and that was a part of what you were made for, uh, and that could include like performance. You know, maybe there was a warforged uh, who was designed to have a beautiful voice and was actually, you know, might have been on a battlefield, but they were partly there uh, to boost morale you know, to sing beautiful songs, you know, before and after battle and perhaps even during battle. The comical version of that is me now envisioning a Chuck E. Cheese style restaurant <laughs> set in Sharn oh, no, where they're just the animatronics up there. It's just like four Warfords just plinking away on a banjo. Yes. Boy, that, that I love that. It is slightly terrifying, but. <laughs> oh, yeah. As terrifying as the animatronics at Chuck E. Cheese. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> there is. 
there is such a I don't know when I when I think of everything we've talked about with Warforged, there is such a tragic element to be explored with these these creatures, these this race of people coming back from this war and how society can accept or not accept them. Uh, like Jeremy, you're talking about like they literally being created with this purpose, literally having their physical beings crafted in a way that fits what their creation was for. Uh, I, I wonder with a society that they come back to, let's, let's say they've won, they've helped to win the war for their country and they come back and people are now looking at these soldiers coming back. And instead of applauding uh, them for their efforts, looking at them and being like, oh, like, look at look at that weapon walking around. We're in peace now. I don't feel comfortable having that thing next to my child uh, in in the marketplace. This this does, this really bothers me. And then having this like this terrible reaction where they are all brought back to the factory, back to their makers. And if they have like weapons grafted onto their arms, those are removed. Uh, and now you have this tragic aspect of Warforge walking around with maybe not an arm because it didn't financially seem as a priority. And so, yeah, yeah, you're free. Um, but what about my arm? You took my arm. Y- your freedom. Go ahead. Go forth. Like, you'll figure it out. Obviously, that has happened in the real world where uh, soldiers aren't treating treated well when they come back from war. And you could definitely role play through that with Warforged uh, in a different sense. But unlike a soldier who may uh, go away to war and has lost his arm because they were fighting the enemy... Imagine a Warforge coming back and their makers taking their arm from them because they're like, ah, we don't feel comfortable with you having this anymore. And the depth yeah. there is there for your your world to to play in with multiple of these uh these people walking around like that. Yeah, and it it there are some very heavy stories uh that you can tell uh because of you know these these very situations uh, where, you know, I didn't own that part of my body. And so before before I was discharged, it was taken away from me. You could literally have serial numbers on your on your Warforged or some sort of property of the whatever the, the company is that made them or whatever to be a constant awful reminder of things like that. Yeah. And it, it's also... Uh, Difficult for the people of the continent of Corvair because House Caneth made Warforged for every side of the war. So also when you see a Warforged, you have no idea which side they were fighting for. You know, they could have been fighting on your side. They could have been fighting against you if they were even fighting at all. Because again, as we've discussed, the Warforged you meet might not have uh, seen battle. Now, one, one thing... I'd like to mention because it just it reminded me of something we explore a little bit in the book that relates not only to Warforge but actually veterans of the war in general. We have in the magic item section of the book um, several magical prosthesis options because one of the things that uh, was a goal for us in the entire book was to really take seriously that uh, this is a continent emerging from a continental war. And we wanted to make sure at every point when we were designing something, we were thinking, how did the war touch this place, touch these people, touch the culture of a place? 
Uh, and we, we realize that something that has not been depicted much in the past with Eberron is the effect of war on people's bodies. And so there are a number of paintings in the book where we actually show characters missing limbs. Uh, so not just Warforged, but uh, actually specifically members of other, of other races missing limbs following the war. Uh, and then in the treasure section, we have all these options of magical prosthesis that they can uh, take advantage of. And then in the process, get some uh, fantastic extra abilities. Uh, you know, whether it's a, a power arm or a magical leg. Uh, and these were things that uh, Warforged could make use of, but also, you know, an injured gnome could use it, uh, an elf, a human, whatever species you are, uh, you might, your body might be bearing the mark of this great war that just ended. That, yeah, I actually had noticed it because we had, I have a copy here, um, that several of the characters were missing limbs and that's immediately where I had thought to. And oh, there's, yeah, seeing that aspect and also realizing that for Eberron, it is a war that wasn't won per se. Right. It was a war that we, the collective peoples decided we should stop. But that, that, that's not the same as one side having air quote one and the tensions that exist in the shadows become these different things. And everyone's awesome. I don't know if you guys knew that, but, um, uh, but I, yeah, I'm so excited to delve even further into this book. I feel like we've done a lot of this, but are there specific quests involving Warforged? I, I feel like I'll just tell a story to start off what is as weird as my Chuck E. Cheese reference. But a way that we introduced some more forged into a homebrew campaign that I was in was we just stumbled into a wizard's workshop and the wizard had died, but he hadn't finished these two war forged. Mm. And so they were just sitting there inanimate. And basically we figured out like the literal switch to flip and they were alive. And we literally had like talked to through scenes of them going outside for the first time and mm. being like, these are birds. These are leaves falling. This is the sky. Like what is happening? And just ex literally going through the idea of them experiencing the world for the very first time, because they woke up not two minutes ago. Oh, that's amazing. And, and, and I assume you then uh, adopted them into your group. I did. And we had to figure out how the heck we're going to get horses for these two. Uh, and so we had to invest in the idea of Warforged horses. And then we, it was a constant like, can we go over this bridge? I don't think we can. <laughs> we also named them Bill and Ted. But go <laughs> Oh, perfect. Uh, yeah, there, there are so many uh, stories that you can do in Eberron and in other worlds, uh, not only about Warforged awakening uh, to their new life, but also exploring places where they were produced. Uh, you know, in in Eberron for uh, Rising from the Last War, we have uh, maps of um, you know the basically a Warforged uh, crypt, which was a place where also some of them were awakened. But now this is where they you know they go uh, to be sort of ensconced uh, and forever remembered. And also one of the biggies, uh, I, 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 can't, I can't let this podcast end without talking about one of the things I was most delighted to add to the world of Eberron. I was the, the goof who loves Japanese monster movies and uh, wanted us to add 
uh, Godzilla-sized warforged. Saw the and, image for that. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> and so, and so, uh, you know, I went over it with Keith Baker and James Wyatt, two of the original uh, designers of Eberron, and they were like, "Yes, yes, let's do it." And yep. and so, in in this book, we have now uh, warforged colossi that are uh, asleep or dead or inert? Uh, question mark. Uh, in uh, the Mornland and several other places in the world waiting to be discovered. We even have a map that you can use to go adventuring inside yes. a Warforged oh, a Colossus. A dungeon that may just awake while you're inside of it. <laughs> yep. And and in case that happens, we have even a stat block for a Warforged Colossus in the bestiary Oof. section of the book. Uh, and if if one happens to wake up, you, you watch out uh, because we we purposefully made them terrifying. That's fantastic. So Warforged Colossus versus Tarask is definitely something that many people, I think, will be playing in their homebrew games. It sounds like. <laughs> yes. Yes. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. <laughs> yes. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I think for like for adventures based around like the Warforged race. Um, I, I mean, honestly, it's it's pretty simplistic, but I really would love to play in a a campaign where you begin at the end of uh, the last war. And maybe most of the group is comprised of Warforged who are struggling with that question of what now? Um, and that that to me sounds maybe more like a at least from the beginning, a more sandboxy type campaign that's really based on the role playing of these these player characters and where they go from there, but it doesn't even necessarily have to, in that sense, be just warforged PCs as well. Um, I, I wonder if you have it just be veterans of the war and all these things that we've talked about. If you're, you have a PC or two that aren't warforged, like how do they respond when they return from war Two raised ale glasses. Thank you for doing your service. But maybe other people are looking at their their brothers in war and treating them not like victorious soldiers uh, or whether it was victory or not, but not like respecting that and uh, treating them like objects uh, or just even objects of disdain and how you have your your table and throwing that out is like something to be played with in that type of adventure. But then the other adventure that comes to mind is we've talked a lot about the age of Warforge and how it's like they they haven't been around for long. But I do also go, yeah, but you can, especially in a homebrew world, go, maybe we're playing some Warforged uh, that have been around for millions of years. Mm. And where they were made, because that's something that we've talked about, where they were made, because that's something... They're constructs. They could literally live forever if they're constantly repaired, right? And like kept up and maybe they learn to do that themselves. So maybe the whole adventure is let's find out where we came from. Let's find our origins. Uh, And that may lead you back to some ruins of some place because it's been so long. Maybe they don't even know how old that they uh, are. They've forgotten. Uh, It's an interesting thing to play with. Does a Warforge remember everything from their life or after a while does it become hazy do they forget is there like is there a rebooting at some point uh questions to play around with in a homebrew world 
Absolutely. And because we leave the question open on how long uh, can they live? You know, in the world of Eberron, they haven't been around very long. So really, this is a, it's an open question. Uh, like, can they live is forever as life? long as <laughs> right? Right. Uh, you know, what do do they have an expiration date? Uh, you know, only only, you know, some of the geniuses in House Caneth might know the answer to that question. But since you know, their awakening, the Warforged awakening was not supposedly a part of the original design that then also uh, causes us to question how in control were the Caneth engineers of this project. Uh, and so it means that there are a lot of mysteries uh, about the Warforged, uh, both in the world of Eberron, and there can certainly be a few to plop them down in another setting. Uh, I, you could also discover in another setting that the Warforged uh, might have originally come from a mysterious cra crashed spaceship in <laughs> in the yeah. in the barrier peaks. So, like if you're if you're in the world of Greyhawk and you want uh, how how can I incorporate Warforged? Well, you have a you have a spaceship uh, over there in those mountains that the war the Warforged in that setting might originally have emerged from. Oh man, and what a reveal to be playing that in a homebrew setting and have that be the reveal of where they came from, and then your players start to. And they're like, wait, does that mean there's a whole planet or planets out there of Worf? Oh my goodness. Yeah. Like, and who created yeah. them? Were they create like it, lots of questions come from a little thing that you can drop into your world like that? One thing, uh, too, by the way, that we've done uh in uh the new book with Warforged is we wanted to really make a distinction existentially between essentially the Warforged who have not woken up and the ones who have. And so in the past, all Warforged were considered to be constructs. In their fifth edition incarnation, we made the decision that the Warforged who have full self-awareness and essentially have souls have so radically changed from their original design that they have actually become humanoids. So to the game system, they are humanoids Whereas Warforged Titans and uh, Warforged Colossi, the ones who are still sort of more machine than person, they are considered by the game system to be constructs. So, so the Warf the playable Warforged have something has changed. Not just their awareness has changed, but like their whole being has changed uh, by uh, awakening to selfhood. Awesome. So I. I can't get this out of my head, so I have to say it so that it goes away. And then we'll jump into homework. What if the idea, the life of a Warforged is attached to that soul? And basically, if the soul is tired, the Warforged would pass on. And the idea that like just a Warforged living their best life could just theoretically just live forever. Boom. I'm, okay no, with I, that. I love that idea. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so we're going to throw out some homework. I air quoted. I don't know. I don't know if I did it hard enough that you can hear through the podcast, but the idea of things that people could go watch, read, um, or interact with to get ideas for Warforged because I, I love doing it. I'll throw out a couple and then we can go from there. I have a comic book. If you're not reading atomic robo, you totally should. Um, it is glorious and can give you a ton of ideas of what a Warforged can be and how they interact directly with humans on a consistent basis. For a TV show, you should go watch Almost Human because it's great. And basically, it's a, an officer that is viewed as 
there is that sapience where before there was only sentience uh, and the interaction that they have as an officer. And of course, you should also watch iRobot, let's be honest. Yeah. 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 Because it's, it's literally an emerging society of robots and they like start doing art and all these other things. Like, I don't know if you could find a better, a better movie to at least get the ideas of how you could introduce and have Warforged in a world. I, I would, I would to those great recommendations. I would add both of the Blade Runner films uh, because the the replicants in in those stories are actually grappling with some of these the quest, same questions of selfhood that uh, Warforged have to grapple with. Uh, the character of Data in Star Trek: The Next Generation also. Another great example of essentially a manufactured person discovering themselves in terms of sort of a, a, an Android-like person developing relationships with people, but also having to uh, confront prejudice. I actually love uh, the animated film, The Iron Giant. Mm. Uh, who does so I think yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah and so I think I think actually the Iron Giant is also a great homework when pondering uh, Warforged stories Warforged glasses uh, and is also yes and is also yeah. uh, so if you if you look if you look at uh, the art of at least one of the Colossi in the book it may or may not have been slightly inspired by the Iron Wonderful. Giant and the voice is definitely done by Vin Diesel yes. as is the Iron Giant uh, yes so this one is a little more sort of off the beaten path of sort of Android stories or robotic people uh, gaining selfhood, but it has to do with a person being a weapon of war and deciding who they're going to be next. And that is the graphic novel series monstrous. Yes. Where, you know, you have this fantasy world that uh, is uh, clouded over by war and the main character, she is basically this walking weapon and is constantly grappling with how much of a weapon am I going to be and how much of a, you know, the rest of my personhood am I am I going to allow to flourish? Oh, that is a that is a great one and a great comic just in general. Oh, I love Monstrous. Yeah. If you want to uh, dive really into a couple times it was brought up like the the youth uh, of of the Warforge and uh, sometimes even described as like, like a, a baby waking up and then having to really like develop their thoughts and everything. I would say a fantastic place to go to is to watch any episode that's centered around BMO from adventure time. Uh, because certainly BMO has a very childlike aspect to it. And also there's def there's a string of adventures where BMO goes uh, back to uh, the factory that it was made and uh, you could really use that as some good adventure uh, ideas and inspiration if you're wanting to delve further into the aspect of a Warforged returning to where and who made them. I feel like we'd be remiss. I There's this new book. It's about 320 pages of absolute <laughs> Eberron glory. Um, so if you did want to pick up... Uh, both covers because you totally should, which is, I'm showing it right now because it is glorious, but of course, rising from the last war, um, which comes out two days from maybe the time you're listening or it's already out and you should, you should definitely go get it. I but agree. The other, I kind of like that the, book. <laughs> yeah, I, I imagine <laughs> the, the other question we have for you, Jeremy, of course, is where can people go to find you on the internet and all the awesome stuff you're doing? Uh, easiest place to find me is on Twitter, where I am Jeremy E. Crawford. 
Yeah, you can catch all of the updates there, especially of all the amazing Unearthed Arcana conversations that are happening. So thanks again, Jeremy, for joining us on the Dungeon Masters block, and we hope that you can join us again sometime in the future for another fantastic subject. I would love to. It was great talking with you guys. We just want to thank Jeremy again for coming and spending some time with us and schooling us on Warforged and giving us a ton of great ideas on how to put them in your world. If you want to email us and tell us about how you've put Warforged in your world, you can always go to dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. And as I mentioned before, I think we ran out of reviews. So definitely head over to iTunes and fill one out and we'll read it on air. And also, if you do, let us know when you can do that by following us on Twitter and tagging us at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block. Of course, you can also like us on Facebook where you can catch all the updates we have. And today's Patreon shout out goes to DM Parseltone. I don't, I have no idea what that means, but I am super excited that you DM Parseltone are a silver patron dragon. So thank you. The Dungeon Masters Blog is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network, where you can check out other shows like Geek Wars, Detentions and Dragons, and Dungeons and Dragons and Daughters, and more. Again, we just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the Dungeon Masters Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all the people at the table. I'm DM Neil. Good night. Good luck and keep on dungeon mastering. It's not inspiration, it's not wisdom, and it's bad advice. To help buy new material for your game, add microtransactions. Want inspiration? That's $5. Goodbye.